When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, how the willow boughs swoon, and freckled light dances on the lawn. I have seen the vast expanses, I have known the corners, I have hidden and explored and cast myself toward the arches and the high glass, all here in the moon underwater. Welcome all from Baron to Bricklayer, from King, Queen and Candlemaker, or if you just work in finance or in an office, welcome to the Moon Underwater. We serve everyone over the age of 18, uh, and, you know, as long as you uh, abide by UK law, here at a fantasy pub of your own mind. I am the landlord, John Robbins, and with me... Helping our guest guide their own selves through the choices of their dream pub is the lovely regular Robin Allender. Hello, Robin. Hello, John. How do I find you this evening? In good spirits. No, sorry. How do I... I can't see you. Oh, right. Sorry. Yes. I can Um, hear you. How do I find you? Well, it's very dark. You have to use the power of touch. Okay. Well, there should be some lights on here at the moon. I don't know why it's drenched in sort of the... Scarlet Death Black Night all of a sudden. <laughs> um, so I'll just... Uh, what sort of lighting do you fancy? Well, we're on Starless and Bible Black at the moment, so what about Starless and Bible kind of yellow? But Starless and Bible yellow? Yeah. Okay. And uh, as if by magic, here we are, bathed in a beautiful yellow. Uh, it's not a sort of uh, like a nauseating yellow, it's just sort of a pale candlelit glow. Yeah, that's what I wanted. And we find the moon underwater in very good spirits this evening, ready to uh, accept our guest. Now, don't you, you, do you hear the rain outside, Rob? Yeah, what, the rain, R-E-I-G-N? No, this time uh, I'm not throwing you a curveball. This time I do mean the uh, R-A-I-N. Because um, it's only gone and started raining wine. Oh, fabulous. Which is very distressing the first time you sort of look down and see it on your skin. Yeah. Because you may think you're, you're, you're bleeding to death from the head <laughs> from a blow. 
But actually, no, the correct realm here where the moon underwater is situated uh, is raining wine in reverence to this week's guest. I should point out, if you are expecting the usual ramblings and mist from uh, Robin and I, that is now housed in an all-new podcast home on this very feed. We're getting straight into the meat uh, of our guest here at the Moon and Water, even though we don't actually serve meat. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, it's a metaphorical meat uh, from a real person. So I, can, I think I can also almost see them dusting the wine off their raincoat, if indeed you can dust liquid. Uh, <laughs> um, but they're certainly shaking an awful lot of the liquid. And yes, looking up to the heavens for a bit of a gulp before they head in. Uh, on the threshold of the moon underwater, we welcome Mr. Ed Gamble. Hello, Ed. Hello. I've brought quite a lot of meat with me. Apologies. Oh uh, well, we can keep it here for the meat eaters. Thank you. Yes, that would be great. Will it freeze? Uh, no, it's defrosted already. You're in serious trouble if you freeze that and then defrost it again. I think we're we're in trouble. Then then it'll be raining something else. What would happen to meat if you kept freezing and defrosting and freezing? I think I don't think you're supposed to do that. I think you're supposed to freeze it once max, defrost fully, and then cook and eat, rather than keeping defrosting and freezing, etc. As far as I know. What happens if you freeze it and then freeze it again without defrosting? Then it's double frozen. Then you can never defrost it. Okay, okay. That's what they did to Walt Disney. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's what fossils are. Yeah, double frozen. Double, double frozen, frozen shells. Really yeah. hard. <laughs> Welcome, Ed. It's a delight to have you uh, in the moon underwater. It's been long tomps since I've dreamed uh, that your visage would waft its way through the bottle green bay windows here at the moon underwater and hear the clip-clop of your high heels on the cobbled streets. Because, Ed, you are one of the great... I'm I'm not going to say drinkers. I'm going to say aficionados of alcohol. You're one of the few people I know who genuinely seems to appreciate the provenance, Mm. the atmosphere of a drink, the sort of setting. I've never seen you just sort of glugging lager for the sake of it. No, I've I've had those days. I've been th- I've been through those days. Uh I like to I do like to appreciate a drink. I like to make it worth it. If I'm going to have a drink, I want to drink some nice stuff. But then also I do sometimes wonder whether my sort of uh acting as an aficionado and truly trying to appreciate alcohol is just a, a wonderful sort of excuse for still drinking quite a lot in my mid-30s. Do, but do you think it does help you drink a bit less if you go, OK, I'm not going to drink every night this week, but if I do, I'm going to I'm gonna get a really nice bottle of red. I'm going to crack, crack open something nice, definitely, for sure. Because you're not going to glug down like two bottles of sort of vintage red, are you, of an evening? Or are you? No, a bottle, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. And also because my wife isn't really a wine drinker, quite often I do, I mean, I do have to drink the whole bottle or drink half a bottle and then sort of just leave it, which is very hard. Do you ever find that, say you've bought a bottle of fancy wine, say Mm. you're looking at, you know, a 20 pound bottle of wine. Sure. And you drink half of it and leave the rest of the next day, that somehow the value decreases in your mind? (laughs) So you'd sort of quite happily use that that sort of uh, three hundred mil of Chateau Neuf de Pape in a in a stew the yeah, next just day. Whack it in a pan. Quickly becomes cooking wine. <laughs> yeah, feed it to the cat. 
Often it tastes uh, nicer the next day, though. It is better. It's quite often better the next day. Mm. But then how, you know, how do you store it? That was a big thing. Uh, my wife bought me a Christmas present once, which was a very subtle nod to maybe you shouldn't drink a whole bottle of wine, uh, which was one of those decanters, but you pour it in and then you press them down and they sort of seal off all of the air. Oh, yeah. And then you sort of pour them and they've got like a little gluggy thing that's supposed to air. I think it's all bullshit. But she, she brought this basically to say, you can drink half a bottle and then you can put it in this and you could leave it maybe two days before you drank the rest of it. And that is now essentially a very pretty ornament on our mantelpiece. <laughs> I've got one of those pumps with the little rubber things that go in the that's, top. That's for something else, John. <laughs> I, I hope it's working for you. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I'm not actually convinced they extend the life of a (coughs) bottle of wine very... (laughs) I'm not sure that they extend the life of a bottle of wine that much. No. No, as far as as I've been told, the best way to do it is to put the cork back in and then whack it in the fridge, and then you've probably got two or three days in Mm. in a bottle of red. Well, also, did you know the better the wine, the longer it keeps... I did not know that. Yes, that's been a very good tip uh, that Dan Atkinson, uh, comedian and writer and producer, Dan Atkinson, uh, his he's a big wine buff and his dad, I might have mentioned this before, but every year when decanter sort of bring out their picks, he does a spreadsheet of all of the decanter top 100 wines that are available in the different supermarkets. But apparently, yeah, the more money you spend on a wine, the longer it will keep. So sort of a really nice, I don't know, I would never spend more than 20 quid in a bottle of wine, probably. But were you to get like a £40 bottle of wine, that might keep for a week. Uh, whereas a sort of a £4.99 uh, bottle of white, you've really got to be drinking it that evening or or the, or the next morning. Yeah, you've got to be necking it at the till, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like a second hand it's like a new car as soon as you drive it off the forecourt immediately it loses to value. Decrease. Yeah. <laughs> but Ed, um speaking of fancy wines as a judge on Great British Menu what was the kind of boozing like on that show because sometimes you were given a drink with the meal. Yes. Yeah, that happens now and again and I actually potentially one of my wine choices is one of the wines that we were given. Uh, on the Great British Menu, the the boozing is not uh, it's not furious because we do start eating at uh, ten a.m. Oh. on judging days, but quite often, like maybe a drink will arrive with a course at eleven a.m. And I'm I I can my role on that show is very much total consumer. I will eat everything and drink everything that's put in front of me. Tom Carriage doesn't drink, so that prevents him from doing it. And we'll say things like, "Don't you got to get that away from me, otherwise I'm going to go mad." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tom Kerridge, who famously came on off menu and for his drink choice asked for it. Was it a slab of Stella? Was that the yeah, word he used? Yeah, 24 cans of Stella. I love him. He, yeah, he's brilliant. And he said he stopped drinking because he it, it goes it goes wild when he drinks. So he made the very sensible decision to stop. Um, so he's obviously not having any. And then Nisha will have a couple of sips and just go crazy. So, um, so I'm the one drinking the stuff. But yeah, occasionally they throw a little drink in there, which feels like, feels like bribery, really. Right. But you can't just sort of go, can, do you mind if I just have a can of Foster's or something like that? <laughs> yeah, you can't order a drink. <laughs> right. They very much paired a drink with with the meal but it's normally to do with like the the theming and the setting and just to make it all feel a bit a bit more coherent but um you can't really judge them on that because they've not cooked the drink no i i often wonder on like masterchef when they're the, or masterchef the professionals when they're cooking with wine are they allowed to sort of drink as they go 
because it's quite a like a chefy thing you know i'll just have a little sip of the red while i sort of it's you know it's it's quite common sort of uh, visual language in the world of chefs on tv that they have a little sip but i wonder if at any point greg will sort of come in and go that you've you've done you've done two thirds of that bottle. <laughs> I guess if if it's going really wrong, maybe that would be the way to do it. If you know you've already burnt something and there's no way of pulling it back, you just have the rest of the bottle and have a good time, right? Deliver deliver a curry or something. If ever I go on Celebrity Master Chef or just regular Master Chef, why not? Yeah, I mean, they're not going to have me on Celebrity. Just get on there anywhere you can. <laughs> um, I'll just get absolutely. Sauvignon Blanc. Well, maybe that's what happened the other... Do you remember the other year where they had to edit a contestant out of MasterChef? The ghost Chef. That was one of the weirdest TV... That was weirder than Series 3 of Twin Peaks, watching that. I've asked so many people what, what went on there. I've done so so many texts to various people who work within food, within TV, just trying to find out what happened to the mystery lost contestant at MasterChef, and no yeah, one can tell me. That's amazing. I met Marcus Waring at the Oval watching a test match. Right. And I would have asked him if, when he walked into the room, because I watched so much of Marcus Waring, I went, oh, hey there, as if he was my friend. Right. And he looked at me like, oh, have we met? And I was like, oh, fuck, you've just said hello to Marcus Waring. Like, you know, you know each other. So I then sort of like... I sort of just moved away and didn't speak to him, but I would I would have asked him who the mystery chef was. To anyone who doesn't know this story, there was an episode of MasterChef The Professionals that went out, and in the round they were filming, they always have four chefs competing for a place in the next round. And it became... It was... What was... The, the thing is, before you knew what the situation was, there, there was just a sense of something was wrong. Yeah. And it began to dawn on you watching it, Oh, there's only three chefs in this round, but usually there's four, and they're referring to like the fact that there's four, but you're only seeing little sort of corners and angles of this other chef's <laughs> <Yeah>. unit. <laughs> and every so often there was like a hand in the background. Yeah. And it turned out no reference was made to this in the show. There, there was like a slate or something saying a little that, card at the end. Yeah. Maybe it was just like group psychosis, and there were only ever three there. And there was this just shadowy figure. They had to. They did a shot of you know. They do that shot of them all walking. They'd obviously had to zoom in to <laughs> c- crop out the other guy. It's so weird. But I went on a TV forum, and rumours abounded from the chef like committed some crime after filming, or. One person said he knew a cameraman that told him that he told Marcus Waring to fuck off. But but I just think that sounds... I mean, it sounds brilliant. I suspect that might... I mean, in the sort of heat of the MasterChef kitchen, I'm sure that sort of thing might have happened now and again. Well, it happened on Great British Menu once. Johnny Mountain. I think his name's Johnny Mountain. It was their fault for letting a wrestler in. <laughs> I think his name's Johnny Mountain. He did a meal... It was like a menu based on sustainability, and he did this seashore, I think it was the fish course, and Marcus Waring gave it two out of ten. Oh, no. And he 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 swore, ran out of the judging room, and there was a big poster of himself, and he just sort of like karate kicked it down and left. Really? I do not remember <laughs> well, and that was it, and he never he never came back. Never came back. Wow. He karate kicked a poster of himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like it could be our man, to be fair. Yeah. It might have been Johnny Mountain, yeah. yeah. 
So, Ed, back to the matter in hand. Before we kit out your dream pub, let me just say three words to you. The hotel bar discuss. Now, Robin, you'll, you'll want to hear this. Um, <laughs> myself and John have a long-running argument, which I will, which I will say, I, I hope you know this, John, is broadly designed to try and annoy you, that I say I prefer hotel bars to pubs. Now, this is from being on tour for a long time uh, and finishing a show. And the last thing I want to do after I finish a tour show is go to a nearby pub. Uh, I don't necessarily want to look my audience in the eye afterwards, just in case I can see deep into their soul and realize they didn't enjoy something. I don't want to be in a busy atmosphere straight after a show. And the hotel the hotel bar is the best place to be. Two, two big glasses of nondescript red in a hotel bar straight to bed. That's That's how I feel. I now then I understand the allure of a hotel bar for sure. It's anonymous. It's a sort of um, a non-space. Is that what they're called, Rob? Oh, you mean like a liminal space, kind of? As people yeah, say. like yeah. hotels and uh, airports and shopping centres are sort of like I don't I don't know how to say it any more than non-space, but they're like there's something quite relaxing about the repetition. And the the fact that your room is identical to the room next door and the fact that they're sort of kitted out with artwork that sort of pleases no one, but also offends no one. Yeah. So they're sort of they're otherworldly places where you can feel just like like you don't exist. That's what I love about a hotel. I can lock myself in and say, no one knows I'm here. I might not exist. Just uh, that's not why I like it. (laughs) (laughs) But... For me, it's the lack of choice Mm. of drinks. The thing with, like, your audience is usually we'll be gigging in places where there's four or five pubs. Most people don't go to the nice pubs. They go to the near pubs. Yeah. As a rule of thumb, I would say. So if I do go to a nice pub and a couple of people from the audience are in there, I know that they know pubs. So I'm sort of like, good. They've come to the right pub. But I wouldn't go to like, you know, I wouldn't go to an O'Neill's directly opposite the venue that was just absolutely hevo cablevo. I, I think what I like about because we tend to stay in a, like a chain, like a similar chain of hotels throughout the whole tour. And what I like is you can rely on it. And I like that on tour. I go to chain restaurants and chain hotels and you can rely on it. And it's always the same because the audiences are so variable and you never know what you're going to get. So I like that sort of reassurance of being like, we're going back to the hotel bar. I'm going to have, well, on the last tour, me and my tour manager agreed we could have three drinks after a show and we'd be fine the next day. But now we're a couple of years older and we've had to reduce the, uh, we've had to reduce it to two, sadly. Have you really? Yeah. What would your, so this is separate. This is a separate bonus, Mm. but you come back to your hotel bar after a, a really nice show, but you're tired you don't have to be up early for a train the next day. You've got the next day off. What would be your dream drink to see waiting for you on the bar that your tour manager's ordered for you? Well, dr- uh, yeah, I guess dream drink is different to realisable yes, drink. Yes, dream hotel, chain hotel drink. Well, I, I normally go for a red wine. Uh, and, I mean, a go-to when you don't know the wine list or you've got no one telling you this is fantastic or this is good and telling you stories about it or whatever, I always just go for normally Pinot Noir. Yeah, it's light. It's light enough to just have a couple of glasses of it. You don't need food with it to sort of, you know, help balance the flavors or anything like that. You can sip it. You can enjoy it. Two large glasses of Pinot Noir, 
good night. Couple of pints of Pinot. Couple of pints of Pinot, lovely. I remember on the tour where I supported John a few years ago, and we played in Salford, and we were in the hotel, and it's very close to Old Trafford, isn't it? Uh, that where we were staying, and I went down to the bar uh, quite late after we got back from the, to get a pizza and a pint to take up to my room and the hotel was completely rammed with all these like football fans getting up in the lift with just a pizza on a plate and a pint and a really busy <laughs> lift it was a quite the fond plate, memory the plate makes that sadder for some reason yeah it's very partridge uh, kind of thing got your big plate Alan kind of thing. yeah Hello fans of Pub and Pint, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP and now for the first time a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters, so I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, Ed, we're going to uh, discuss the perhaps the looks of your dream pub or hotel bar. But first off, we need to get that bar kitted out. So what are your first two draft options, please? Now, I think I, I'm not sure if we're going to fall out over beer, but you two, I think I think you're beer heads. You appreciate beer. You like sort of quite tra- traditional beers. Would that be fair to say? Having listened to the podcast? It's quite a broad uh, church, it's, really, isn't it's it? It's a broad... Think. There's no... There's no bad choices you could, because you know if if you like Robin likes a foaming pint of Stella more than life itself. There's nothing wrong with that. Stella isn't bad. It's just <laughs> it's just very popular, which is probably why it's probably 
because it suits a lot of people. It doesn't suit my palate, but I would never... If someone says... If I was getting someone a drink and I said, oh, what do you fancy? I'll get a pint of Stella. I'd never go, what? Mm. Afraid of the dark stuff, lager boy. <laughs> I, sort of, I, just, I really hate I really didn't like that advertising campaign. It's just like, well, it's just a different drink, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, It's quite gatekeeper-y, that kind of thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. Mm, that's not necessarily the way I'm going to go with it. This is not why I'm worried about your reaction to it, because... I can manage, if I'm drinking beer, I'd say two to three beers. I used to drink, I used to neck lager. I used to be able to drink 10 pints plus. Can't do that anymore. Get too full. So now, if I'm having a beer, it's going to be two to three beers max, unless it's Guinness, when that's that's six or seven I could probably put away. And I don't know why, because that fills you up even more normally. So when I drink a beer, it's normally quite sort of wacky. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We've not really dis- uh, discussed um, this before, John. But I really like sour. I like sour beer. Okay. Okay. I like sort of quite mad, and the the sort of weirder the better, really. And I've got really into it in the in the last couple of years. So I think the first one I'm going to go for is uh, there's a there's a brewery in Edinburgh called Vault Vault City Brewing Company, just Vault City Brewing, um, and they specialise in sours. Uh, and they do a lot of like big percentage sours with all sorts of flavors in them. Like they release a new, they release a new batch of sours every Sunday, uh, and they've done some that I didn't really enjoy that had like marshmallow in it and stuff. But uh, they do session sours, and the one I'm going to go for is the cloudy lemonade session sour, mm. which is properly sour, properly lemony, really delicious, really makes you pucky your face up. It's just fantastic. Just looking this up in my mind. Vault City Brewing. City Brewing Cloudy Lemonade Cider. Oh, no, sorry, sour. sour. Is this uh, like a, a can of like a 500 mil can or a bottle? Or how, it, does, it you... did come in cans, actually. I mean, the frustrating thing I find about these these really like new breweries who are doing exciting stuff and experimenting quite a lot is they do tend to release a beer a week and then within two weeks you can't ever get that beer again. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they've just opened a tap room actually in Edinburgh uh, and I think the Cloudy Lemonade might be part of their core range at the tap room now so when I go to Edinburgh I can actually go and get it again Um, but they did release that one in in cans they're normally a bottles uh, brewery but they've just started releasing cans in fact I had one last night from them uh, an iron brew flavoured sour what (laughs) a lot nicer than it sounds (laughs) wow so looking at this beer i think i would like to try it it's it's between so sort of 3.7 to 4.2 percent it was for yeah 4.2 i think the one i had was yeah probably depending on whether you get it on draft or in a can or whatever no it's 4.2 percent i th- i think of all the sours because i've tasted some sours and some of them uh taste a bit like just a slightly dry fruit beer which is quite nice for a pint or a half or a two-thirds. I think they probably suit quite well. I had a balsamic vinegar sour. Oh, my God. Which is one of the worst things I've ever tasted. <laughs> yeah, that it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it, was on, it, was, it was like drinking gone-off beer. It was like, it was like you're paying twice as much for something that usually you would go oh, to the barman. Oh, sorry, I think that might be gone. Yeah. So it's quite weird to convince yourself that that's what you're meant to be tasting. I could give this lemonade sour a go because it looked quite refreshing, but I wonder how close it is to just sort of a dry cider. Do you like dry ciders? I'm not a, I'm not really a cider guy. I, I find ciders generally too sweet, however dry they are, really. I think they do, actually. There's loads of residual sugar in ciders, I think. Um, and 
I sort of feel that like that about beer as well, really. Like quite often it's just a little bit too sweet and it's there's too sort of you feel like you're having a meal. Whereas this it had quite a lot of the properties of a sort of very light lemonade. I'll be honest. Like it was a genuinely refreshing beer. I'm I'm on I'm looking on my mind a website called Untapped where people are reviewing it. Yeah. Someone, someone called Dave has said tasty, really sour, lots of lemon. <laughs> Four and well, a half out of five. That's essentially what I've said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does what it says on the tin, literally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't normally... I'm not normally worried worried about the percentage of things, to be honest. Really? You're not? No, because, I mean, I think you guys mention it quite a lot, and I think it probably does matter with beer, but I will just... I will tell the percentage by drinking something and then in 10 minutes' time going, well, here we go. <laughs> I, I guess if you're just having one or two... The percentage is sort of irrelevant, I guess. I think for me, it came from the fact that I know my my sort of beer quantities are sort of four to five pints. And obviously the difference between drinking a 4% beer and drinking a 5.5% beer over that many is the equivalent of drinking like an extra pint and a half or, or whatever, depending on it. But yeah, I guess if you're having two beers of an evening... It, does, it sort of doesn't really matter whether yeah, it's ten percent. I mean, every single beer I've drunk over five percent, I've not liked. <laughs> really, that's, that's probably not a bad thing to have. Well, the the, the other beer I was I was potentially going to bring up, uh, but it felt a little bit arrogant. Was a beer that I collaborated with another brewery on Sig- Signature Brewery, who are based in Blackhorse Road. They're an amazing brewery. They do some really good stuff. But I did a gig there, and then as part of that gig, I got to come up with a beer with them and I did a, a a rhubarb crumble and vanilla custard sour wow <laughs> um called uh called <laughs> called let's get uh let's get eddie to crumble um, nice <laughs> very nice <laughs> i've just i've just started drinking a bottle of rioca that has gone oh no it has turned I forgot to do the little pump in the top and I just put the pump in so maybe the pump does work and now I'm sad oh dear oh dear have you ever heard of this Hacienda Don Hernan Tempranillo Rioja. Sorry, mate, you're going down the sink. <laughs> where where a lot of your booze goes, doesn't it, John? Because <laughs> a lot of it does end up down the sink, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Either through beer being too strong or me <laughs> having, having a midnight epiphany. <laughs> um, <laughs> like when you used to smoke fags and you used to tear half the cigarette off. And chuck yeah, it in I used the to bin. Run, them, run them under the tap quite a lot as well. I'd have a couple of fags and run them under the tap, just, yeah. Tear them up and chuck them in the bin, two in the morning, back down in the bin, making yeah. a rolly out of the torn-up fags. I had that with food as well a lot. I, used to, I threw a burger at a block of flats once. Oh, Ooh. Ed. <laughs> well, <laughs> after your next draft, I'm going to ask you uh, a question relating to that. So you've got Vault City Brewing Cloudy Lemonade Session Sour, 4.2%, which I actually want to try. Next up, please. Next up, a uh, little bit, little bit wacky again. I'd say uh, this. Um, it's over five percent, so I'm, I'm not sure you'd enjoy it, John. Uh, is a, it's a McKellar beer called Caps Lock, and it's a nitro coffee IPA. What? <laughs> oh, I, I like the sound of that. I've, I've not found it in this country. I had it in Copenhagen, where McKellar is based, at War Pigs, which is McKellar's uh, barbecue restaurant and tap house, and. Um, it is it's fantastic. I had two pints of it, six point six percent. Um I was there with my wife uh and a couple of other friends, including Nish Kumar, uh, and my wife was begging with us to not 
please don't drink the 6.6% beer because we've got to go for a lovely meal this evening. And we had two of those and we were pretty, we were pretty wazzocked after that. But it was, I'd, I'd never had a beer through a nitro tap before. Wow. Oh, I'd like to try that. Is it called Beer Geek Nitro Breakfast? No, but I'd imagine that's a similar sort of thing. It's called it's called Caps Lock. Oh, sorry, so sorry. Rob, all I can hear is you clicking like a gamer. Oh, sorry, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> What's wrong with you, Rob? I'm, I'm looking at Michaela in uh, in my mind. Uh, I'll, I'll stop using my mouse. Use the trackpad, nature's mouse. <laughs> the trackpad of the mind. Are you sure it's Mikola? Are you sure it's not War Pigs Brew Pub? So that's Mikola's. That's that their. That's their pub. Ah. Because um, they basically own half of Copenhagen, and that's in the meatpacking district. Uh, and their their shops next door to that as well. Yeah. There is a really. There's, you can get lots of Mikola in um in the UK, can't you? Some of the cans are really nice. The the eye one. What's the eye one called? Two side eyes. It's called. It's really nice pale ale. Well, there's there's a couple of they've got a couple of brew pubs in London. Which are fantastic. Uh, there's one in Exmouth Market, and there's one. Is there? Yeah, there's one more in like East London, actually, um, which I'd highly recommend pop- popping along to. But I've not, I, as far as I know, they they've not brought this caps lock over. And I've I've had a lot of they do at Starbucks. They do quite a lot of nitro cold brew coffee, where it's through this tap. And I know you guys talk about sparklers quite a lot, and I think it's a sort of similar concept, but with nit- nitrogen rather than carbon dioxide. What's interesting about Caps Lock is that it doesn't look like I was expecting it to. It's not like it's not sort of very dark brown or black. It looks like a beer. Yeah, it's but it's it's got that sort of almost green coffee taste. Like it's very fresh and quite mm. light, but it's still because it's been through that tap, it's quite creamy. Mm. It holds that. It's almost like John a sort of John Smithsy sort of head. Mm. I would quite like quite like it, I think, but well, one thing I was going to say, Mikola do some fantastic low and no beers. Their sort of 0.3% range is one of the best in the beers. Um, so do check out those if you are avoidant or uh, having a night sans cans. Um, well, so far, we've got two choices from Ed. We've got Vault City Brewing, Cloudy Lemonade Session Sour. We've got Mikola Nitro Coffee IPA, 6.6%, I believe. Um, before we head to your bottles, Ed, Let's talk Tango One Delta. You are type one diabetic. That obviously means you need to you need to be aware of your intake of, of sugar and carbs, am I right? Yes, correct. Yeah, absolutely. How does alcohol play into that? Because I from speaking to you uh, outside of this, I know you you drank as much as the next man as a student. Mm-hmm. What how, what impact does alcohol have on that condition? So, I mean, it really, it also depends on the type of alcohol, which I think is partly why I tend to limit the beer intake because it tends to be quite high in carbs uh, and quite a high, quite a high sugar content. But some, I mean, sometimes it's fine. Sometimes I can have a few pints of it and it it just sort of maintains the blood sugar level or quite often what happens is, is it, it spikes the blood sugar level and then it drops by itself. So you're sort of trying to regulate it when it goes high, but then you shouldn't have regulated it because then it'll drop later anyway so it's a bit beer can be a bit of a nightmare if you're drinking it all night whereas i've found personally for me things like red wine spirits absolutely fine as long as they're with sugar-free mixes are sort of okay yeah and then it's the next day as well has an impact if i'm sort of hung over uh the because the liver part of the reason why you know everyone's really hungry when they're hung over 
is because the liver is attempting to process the alcohol, like desperately trying to process all this alcohol, so it isn't doing its regular thing of releasing glucose into the bloodstream. Is it really? Yeah, so your glucose is low when you're hungover, so you're basically trying to do the job of the liver by eating all this food. Right, because it can't do both at once. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. And that's obviously bad, isn't it? Because then the liver does eventually release glucose. Glu- 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 oh, <laughs> shall I have another pop at that? <laughs> it's a good job this red wine's gone off. Um, the li- does the liver eventually done then? Well, I think you're just... <laughs> oh, Ed, talk us through the liver. I think it's just a bad idea because you don't want to overwork your liver, right? God, um, no. No, because uh, they do they do run out of steam now and again. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I, it definitely impacts me, but you, I've just found ways of making it more manageable because, like, like you say, I do, I do like a drink. And does it make recording Great British Menu difficult because you're sort of eating, what, 12 meals a day sure <laughs> which isn't i don't think that's advised for diabetics is it or anyone really <laughs> um i uh i won't eat the whole thing all of the time and i i test i test my glucose a lot and i'm sort of i use a thing called a dexcom which is a constant glucose monitor which feeds my results through to my phone so i'm constantly aware of where i'm at and what i should be doing and the insulin i should be injecting and all of this so i actually it's sort of okay great british menu i do get through it and I found that eating little and often is actually better than eating a huge meal and then trying to deal with the consequences. Yes, very good point. I think that relates to probably quite a lot of things, isn't it? No one, no one has ever said, you know, no nutritionist has ever said, oh, just have one enormous meal. <laughs> At the beginning of the week. Yeah, <laughs> like a snake. <laughs> Fascinating insight there, Ed, not just into your condition, but into the workings of the liver and our old friend, glucose. Oh, you said it. Oh, well I done. did. It's like Glenn Close the first time. (laughs) (laughs) With much excitement, I can reveal that I have been able to navigate the contours of the pub time continuum, and via a portal beneath the optics, I have managed to travel back in time to interface with my past self. (laughs) Greetings, I am Robin from the future come to tell you of the amazing achievements that will come your way if you continue on the path of pub going. Oh, wow. Cool. You could sound a bit more excited, but okay. You'll be thrilled to know that you currently co-host a podcast where famous guests come on to talk about their dream pubs. What's a podcast? It's like a radio show where people talk over each other on the internet. Sorry, are you still there? There might be a problem with the pub time continuum. No, no, I'm, I'm still here. So, are you, like, really rich? Well, it depends what you mean by rich. Well, I was about to apply for this really well-paid job, but if you think I should stay in the pub, then I'll get around it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's important to weigh these things up. No, no, if you think I should stay in the pub to be on a podcast, then that's what I'll do. Podcast. Whatever, man. Cheers. Cheers, I think. Mission... Mission successful. Mission achieved. Really good. Yeah. Happy with that. What are your two bottles and or cans? Well, they're not going to be cans, I'll tell you that much. I oh This was the hardest one, because I do like wine, but there's so much wine. Did you guys know this? There's over a hundred wines. 
if you could tell my local Tesco that, it would really help me out because they seem to think there are only two wines, that there's Cassialiero del Diablo and uh, Yellowfoot, or whatever it's called. But you do insist on keeping on buying them, John. So, oh, they... yeah. Well, they're so bloody tasty. <laughs> so if I, if I have a bottle of wine I really like, I'll be like, well, that's delicious. But then I get, exci- I get really excited about all the different other wines I could try. So I'm not like tasting a wine I like and then buying loads of bottles of it and only drinking that wine. So I've had some really nice, exciting bottles. And also, we can have this argument now as well, John, if you want. I got quite into natural wine a few years ago. Absolute (laughs) faeces. Complete, one of the worst alcohol-based experiences of my life. I'm interested to have this chat because I had an interesting experience with natural wine recently where and it reminded me of um so my girlfriend and i went to saint john the restaurant recently have you, and fantastic fantastic restaurant. it is fantastic and you know their most famous dish is the bone marrow yes on toast parsley salad and yeah so we were eating that and you know it's been built up so much like anthony bourdain like got down on his knees in the kitchen and said it was the best meal he'd ever had. So the expectations are incredibly high. Yeah. And you're eating it and you're just going, oh, God, yeah, that's that's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's subtle, isn't it? Yeah, it's very subtle. And like after half an hour, we just realised, actually, I don't think, I didn't like it. I couldn't taste anything. Right, okay. <laughs> and we had the same thing with natural wine where it was like, we went to a place and, and bought a bottle of natural wine and... Um, we kind of convinced ourselves we were enjoying it until the bus home when we both realised we like absolutely hated it right. <laughs> and it didn't taste of anything. It's, <laughs> it's obviously a hugely broad term. It's like saying what it's like yes. saying wine. Like yeah, it, yeah. And and I think the term natural is debated hugely. Like what what does it actually mean? Because there's there's plenty of like historic wines that are made within within a process that you would call natural it doesn't use any of those processes that are unnatural like the filtration and all of that stuff um but i think what john didn't enjoy was the it's almost the sort of new wine movement of natural wine being a bit like craft beer where the labels are quite fancy and there's no filtration and then you can buy a bottle that sort of tastes quite farmyardy it's a bit like a farmyard floor well I went to the wine shop you recommended, which I'm I'm happy to mention because I had no problem with the wine shop. Was it called Forest Wines? No, is that it... is that is a fantastic wine shop. I'm not sure that's the one I recommended, but it is quite near me. The the, the other one was down the road from Forest Wines, actually, because they're both weirdly quite close to they're, they're sort of both quite near to each other, aren't they? So there's Forest Wines and there's Gnarly Vines. Gnarly uh, Vines. Yeah, that yeah, was it. yeah. So I went in and the guy recognised me, because I think he's a comedy fan, and I said, oh, Ed Gamble told me about this place. And he was like, oh, I know Ed's been in before. I'll, I'll sort you out. I'm going to sort you out. He was really excited. And yeah. I was like, great. Someone's going to sort of talk me through the world of natural wine. And I got three bottles that he recommended. And th- like you say, they all have such cool labels that you sort of think you're going to have a Willy Wonka-esque wine experience, as if as if there's some secret perfect wine that that they've suddenly cracked the code to. And all these people who've been making wine for 4,000 years have just, like, been getting it wrong. <laughs> and I got them home, and they just all tasted like gone-off wine. They just all tasted sour and vinegary. One of them tasted like dry sherry, which I'm not a fan of dry sherry. And I know certain people have the palate, so I hate 
uh, Negronis. I hate Aperol. I don't like that sort of bitter. Yeah. Even though I do, I have been known to drink actual vinegar because I like astringent, savoury food so much. But something about the sort of mixture... Quite an odd of- detail there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to leave that, Robin. Yeah. But you- <laughs> but some, it, like, you're, you're right. Something about the earthy... The word manure's not far from my mouth. And that might be a tasting note. But they were sort of like vinegar and manure. I'm not sure manure is a tasting note that's broadly used. Far- farmyard. I said farmyard already. Yeah. We. I went to a. a, a, a it was a beer and cheese pairing uh, evening once, which was really good fun. And the guy. It was basically each course that came out was slightly more challenging than the last one. And it got to the stage where I just he kept going on about these farmyardy flavors, and so I was like, oh, I was very. Almost like dungy, isn't it? He goes, yeah, but that's good. That's natural, isn't it? It's like, I, I like. I just wanted to say, like, if you if you like if you like shit, just admit it. <laughs> if you like eating poo, yeah, I was sort of, I couldn't believe, you know, I can believe someone likes a Negroni. I I get it. I can't actually believe anyone would drink that wine I tasted, and 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 say. They liked it in all honesty. The, and and the weird thing is, you I think you I remember one of the bottles you bought because it's from Octavan, who are a fantastic producer, and um, they'd have to, I think the label the label if you remember it was the one with like one of the seven dwarves on it, um, and I believe I think you bought the one where it's like color in your own label thing, <laughs> um, and they I mean I nearly I nearly put a bottle of theirs on my uh, on my bottle list. Um, which is the the hip hip Girard uh, Octavan, which is their Chardonnay, which is fantastic. I've actually got because I sent you I sent you pictures of the ones I bought. Yeah, all followed with a text going that went down the sink. <laughs> <laughs> there was one called Brand. Yeah, I don't know that one. Oh no, no, no! Hang on. Oh yeah, there's one called Yeah, it was it was it's called the oh, I can't read the writing, but it, yeah, it is a picture of a dwar- a dwarf. With painting by numbers, yes, things. yeah, that's an Octavan wine, and yeah, I think that, that producer is fantastic, and I've had, I've since had that bottle, and it is very nice. Um, right. But I think, yeah, it's different, it's different tastes, and I think that there is that that sherry note's good, and dry cider as well. I think there's that mm. that taste to a lot of it as well. But I've, I've actually, I don't, I've not really picked any natural wine. Well, I'm glad, even though it's now, you know, the sun's come out; it's the season for orange wine. It's the season for orange wine, guys. Don't pick up your drinks and look at me like that. <laughs> what does so? What does orange wine mean? Uh, like wine with with a bit of a fair amount of skin contact. So yeah, it's, it's white wine with skin so contact. You pour it on yourself, yeah. and then you sort of <laughs> absorb it through your pores. Yeah, exactly. You have a big bath of it. Um, uh, so there's there's some amazing there's some amazing people who make that, um, and a lot, some really good Slovakian orange wine I had recently, actually. Um, this is all the sort of stuff I said to myself before I recorded this. Don't say that, Ed. You're going to sound boring. Well, no, I think it's really interesting. And I also like the way I looked on craft beer when it first kicked off was like, it all tastes of lemon peel. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with real ale? And now if you looked in my fridge, you know, it's it's 90% uh, what you would have called craft beer. And I think they have, what they've done is you're sort of because it's now much more popular you're able to find your niche so i still don't like aggressively hoppy like double triple hopped ipas and i never will but 
that's not what craft beer is. That's just an element of an craft element of beer. It. Yeah. I mean, one of the bottles I was going to pick, but I think Nish picked it on his episode, which I guess was one of your first episodes, right? The first, I think. Yeah, was Little Bastard, which is yes. uh, Staffeltehoff wine, um, which is fantastic, and they make a lot of amazing stuff, uh, uh, other wines as well. Um, but I've not picked that for the same reason I've not picked Guinness, because I don't want to seem like I'm copying anyone. <laughs> well, let's let, let, give us both barrels. What are your two bottles? Two bottles. First bottle is the bottle that I had on Great British Menu, uh, which is uh, it's a bottle of Margot. It's a Chateau Cantonac Brown Margot. I bel- I think it was 2014 was the bottle that we had on Great British Menu. But I I after that for Christmas I bought myself a bottle and it was 2008 and that was even better. So we going for the 2008. Let's go for the 2008. And it's a it's just so I can look this up in my mind. Mm. It's a Margot M A R G O T. No, M-A-R-G-A-U-X. Ah. What's the word brown doing in there? Sorry. Is it- I, okay, I've done a little bit of research when I was buying that. I, I believe, I think he was Scottish. It was, the chateau was maybe bought in by or or established by a Scottish man in Bordeaux, um, you know, centuries ago or decades ago, one of the two. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think he was called brown. <laughs> Something oh right, okay. brown. So, <laughs> it's nothing to do with the color of the wine. No, 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 no. no, no, no. It's, it's red. <laughs> so it's got a a gold label with a big uh, sort of manor house chateau on the front, and it's expensive. It's not like insane. It's fifty seven. Average price is fifty seven. So it is very expensive. Oh, but I mean, it's it's too it's too expensive to drink regularly. Yeah, but for a special occasion, it's not like a sort of... You're not getting into silly wine prices. It's not like 150 quid or whatever. No, which you can do with all the... I mean, I know minimal stuff about wine and I know minimal stuff about French wine, but Bordeaux is like the region, right? So you can, with some of those places like Chateau Margaux and then places like Chateau La Tour, and it's, it's insane prices, especially bottles with a bit of age on them are like over a grand. And you just think that the only reason anyone's buying that is to show off. Well, you're paying for rarity. You're paying for rarity. You're paying for the age. You're paying for the name. And you're paying to, you know, pop it on your shelf so that when people come around, they can see you've got a bottle of uh, Pine Ridge Vineyards Cabernet Sauvignon Stags Leap District 2013. Oh, mama. Was that, that was the, that's the similar to the one we had in New York. It is the bottle that we had in New York. Is it the bottle? That's the bottle oh, right there gosh. that you can see here in the moon underwater. Uh, I took it back in my luggage because the wine tasted so great. And I loved the story of um, our friend James Acaster buying it when he walked into an off-licence in his mittens and his <laughs> woolly hat. And they were snooty to him. So he just picked the most expensive wine they had. <laughs> I've I never known that. anyone to spend so much money in anger. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but what a wine that was! It was Holy incredible. Yeah, I nearly, I nearly picked that noses. or something similar. I do like uh, Californian Cabernet Sauvignon is amazing, but so punchy. So we've got uh, the Sh- Margot Chateau Cantonac Brown 2008 uh, from Ed, which I would really like to taste. Actually, well, if we'd done a live one, I could, I, I would have, you know, done something stupid like buy a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> How strong is it? It doesn't matter, John. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter with wine, certainly, does it? Doesn't I matter mean, with yeah. wine. Well, you say that every so often I'll be browsing wines in uh, a shop. And if I've got to choose between two and one's 12 and a half and one's 15 and a half, I tend to go for the 12 and a half. It, dep- I do, it always depends what I'm eating with it if and if I am eating with it. The good thing about a lot of the natural wines is they're sort of 10%, 11%, and you can just drink them on a summer's day and not really worry about what you're, what you're eating with them. You can just neck them. Would you like to know my second bottle? Yes, please. This I'm, I'm sort of playing to the crowd here with John. Uh, I'm picking a Riesling. Ooh. Yes. Uh, and I'm picking... It's one of the best drinks I've ever had, ever. Uh, so my friend Freddie, who is a wine buyer... He occasionally uh, lets me just have some nice wines. If I go for <laughs> dinner with him, he's like, I've got this wine from work. Um, and it's a Prum, a JJ Prum Riesling. Uh, and the one we had was 1990. Whoa. Which is ages oh, ago. <laughs> holy Moses. And is that a sweet or a dry or an off dry Riesling? It was It was towards the sweet. So it's. Uh, oh, God. It's Aus Lesser. Uh, ah, I, I love Aus Lesser. Which I think it's. I think it's when they're picked, right? It's when the grapes are picked. So it's whether there's noble rot and all of that sort of stuff. I love how long the names are on Rieslings. <laughs> so on when I move over to just to the wine hall of fame here at the uh, Moon Underwater, there's six bottles, seven bottles now on the wine hall of fame. My favourite name is the Weingut Maxford Richter Mulheim and de Mosel Grasher Himmelrick Riesling Cabinet. Lovely. <laughs> it sounds like album of the year in The Wire or something. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about this Riesling, Ed. What did you eat it with and what did it do to you? Well, we were sort of having many bottles. Uh, oh, we, God. We were, we were <laughs> trying lots of different bottles. Um, but we did. We were at 10 Greek Street, which is a really nice restaurant in uh, um what, and he brought his own bottles? Well, there were some bottles knocking around, you know. He's a good guy. You've met, you, I'm sure you've met Freddie, haven't you? Or he's, he sent you some We've stuff from the wine, the wine Society, which is, the Wine Society's amazing. Yeah, it's really good stuff. A co- like a co-op company, uh, you buy shares in them, and then they, they, do, they send you great emails going, this is nice, and you go, oh, it looks nice, I'm going to buy that. I've just, I know I've just described every company. <laughs> Do you know how much a bottle of the uh, JJ Prum uh, nineteen ninety Riesling Ausless is? I do not know. It's probably insane, and because the thing with Riesling is you have to, if you buy it now when it's made, you have to store it for until you're about seventy. Yeah, well, it's about it's about two hundred quid. <laughs> it's a it's a it's it's two gallons, mate. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm obviously never buying that, so this is a dream pub, right? Yeah, but now I want to buy it. <laughs> what, what does the what does the age do with the Riesling? The age of Riesling is it? Um, does it make it sweeter? Yeah, I guess it makes it sweeter. It lets it develop and all of that, and it can just last a long time because I think the amount of residual sugar in Riesling, as far as I know, means that it can just sit for ages. Uh, so it's a good one for storing. Well, not all wines are, are they? Because no, I mean. Yeah. Uh, if you have, I don't have any storage c- capabilities. Otherwise, I'd have too much wine. I'm now on a one-in-one-out policy in our house. <laughs> very, very few wines that I or you, Robin, will come into contact with in our lives benefit from from storing. However, I think some Rieslings do sort of that their fla- flavor profile because they're 
so much flavour in a, especially a sweet Riesling, those flavour profiles change over the years. But the chances of me sitting in the same room as a bottle of nice Riesling for more than, I'm going to say, 36 hours, <laughs> I, I just wouldn't be able to. And I'm not sure 36 hours will make that that much difference no. <laughs> to the flavour. But the good thing about, like, it's, I don't really like overly sweet wines, but actually I'm getting more into them. But the thing with Ries, good Riesling, I found is that there's a balance of acidity that you get it at the back of the the back of the tongue like you would do with an acidic wine, but then you've got that amazing sweetness as well. And it's, oh my God, it's so good. Yeah, you don't want one that's just very, because you can get with with cheaper, sweeter Rieslings, they're very sort of syrupy. Mm. Mm. But I like that. I like the Tokais and things, you know. Okay, that's almost so like, that's sort of like dessert wine. Yeah, that's almost like honey-like. I love that. I'd much, you know, I, I, I really like, I like those more than I like Riesling. A great balanced Riesling will have like sweetness immediately and then it's almost like it washes that sweetness out of your mouth with just a really refreshing citrus citrus and acidity and it's really good well we're starting to sound like complete plums um (laughs) but you're i'm starting to sound like myself (laughs) (laughs) i actually want to try all of your choices thus far that's pretty good guy and i'm so pleased to be surprised and enlivened and enriched by your choices, Ed. Uh, but speaking of enlivening and enriching us by our choices, uh, we now head over to the Moon Underwater pub quiz with the lovely Robin Allender. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thanks, John. Welcome to this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. And we all like money, but do we all like knowing facts about when certain financial services were introduced? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Let's find out. So it's a quiz about money or financial services of one kind or another. So question one, and we'll go with the three questions. We'll do the answers in part two. Question one is, when was Chip and Pin introduced in the UK? When was our Pip friend chin. Pip and Chin introduced in the UK? Question two, when was the first plastic credit card introduced worldwide? No, that's not UK. Question three. This is quite maybe a bit too up John Street. Question three. When were ICEs introduced and what was the original cash limit? <laughs> That's my financial quiz. When, so should I, any repeats? Can we just repeat the whole quiz but a different topic? <laughs> yeah. They're all years, so it's kind of close, closest to the, the years. So chip and pin, first plastic credit card and ICEs. This is good stuff, man. I've just begun to throw out the uh, records of my first ever ISA. Oh. So I sh- because I just came to terms with the fact that you know no need to have kept details of an ISA that's been closed for a decade. Yeah. Uh but does that but does that give you a clue on when ISAs were introduced? Did you have the first ever ISA? I don't think I did have the first, but I certainly wasn't Wouldn't put it past you. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to have like one of the 
Childs, Tessas and Peps when they were around. So, oh, it's good stuff, man. I want to drink one of these wines and think about these cues until the day I pop off this mortal coil. (laughs) Okay, this is good stuff. Right, folks, uh, you leave me in a financial reverie and you leave me dreaming of a J.J. Prum 1990 Riesling. Oh, my lordy. And you leave me here with Ed Gamble and the lovely Robin Allender. But head with us into part two, where we enter the bright new horizon of a Patreon-only category, which Ed is yet to pick. Uh, But we will also be finding out uh, what spirits, uh, what wildcard, what uh, album Ed's going to pick in part two. So we will see you back then. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 